Hello and welcome to another edition of our Friday podcast, um, Coffee and Conversation. This is Jeff Harris. I'm the District and County Superintendent of Schools, and we want to thank you for taking some time to kind of sit with us in the time it takes to have a cup of coffee or a, a Coke or whatever it is that you like to drink and have a conversation with us about what's going on in our local schools and our community that affects your child's education. So uh, joining me today are Tom Kissinger, my Assistant Superintendent for Student services, Tom? I always get it wrong. It's educational services, oh, <laughs> and my choice of drink would be iced tea for the afternoon. <laughs> and, and Ryan Ryan Botten, who is the... I'm just going to say it this time. It's the Director of Information <laughs> Network Services. <laughs> you, and, you're going to need a, some sort of a cue card to remember our, jo- our I, job titles. I, I'm just going to have you guys start wearing a t-shirt with it on when you come in the office. <laughs> and, then, and, and what do you have, Ryan? Is that water? Oh, gosh, no. This is coffee. Okay, good. Uh, cup, man, cup six or seven, probably. Man after my own heart. All right. So, um, you know, guys, today what I really kind of want to hit, there's been a lot of conversation about um, what school reopening is going to look like. And, you know, we're, we're talking about school reopening, um, again, for the for those of you that are listening, because we always reopen in August. Um, but our facilities were closed from March through June. Uh, it was a very different time because of COVID-19. And now we're talking about coming back as normal in August, but it's not going to be a normal return. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what we're currently doing to plan for this um, unusual return. Yeah, well, Jeff, one of the things that we have going on, uh, we have about 18 groups of staff members working with stakeholders to make sure that we're covering all of our bases when it comes to making sure that the students and staff and community get what they need in order to start school on time. Yeah, those those planning teams, those groups are are really split out, you know, oper- by operation, whether that's a department, say transportation or nutrition, or in my case, you know, information technology. And it also encompasses um, other groups that might address, you know, a teaching and learning component, whether that would be um, our our EL or English learner program or our after school program. Um, those that's why there's so many different planning teams because there's so many different aspects of the educational operation. Well, and then we, I think we throw on there, you know, as we've looked at our um, continuum of education that we'll be providing throughout the year, uh, because of COVID-19, we could be on full distance learning. We could be on distance learning. I think we've called it distance learning plus or phase two, which is distance learning with uh, small groups of students that come in um, or a blended learning model or a full return. So it's not just those 18 groups planning for one thing. It's 18 groups planning for four different things. Also with the understanding that we could go in and out of of these different models during the year too. So the groups are really doing a great job. And I was actually on um <clears throat> on with one of the groups today, the early the the preschool group, the early childhood education group today, and they were talking about what it would be like to kind of plan for going in one and out the other and back into one. So we're really trying to be flexible in how we're planning. Yeah, and I'll just add that I met with with my planning team for technology this morning, and just just right away, just the, it's a pretty small group, but a varied group of stakeholders. You know, I've got some classified staff, I've got some some internal teaching staff across multiple grade levels, and they already brought perspective that I hadn't considered. You know, to the table, which was great. Um, and I think that's really key is that we're trying to make sure these planning teams do encompass some some different insight. Um, 
so it's not not just one 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 voice. And it's also important that it's it's nice to see when we have parents participating in these groups too, because they give us a perspective that we don't always have as district employees. So Ryan, if you were to guess, you know, when when we put these teams together at the get go, we said we want to have as many participants as we could. We actually put out a public survey that said, if you want to join a team, join a team. At this point in time, how many people overall? are uh, roughly engaged in helping walk and talk through these uh, reopening plans? Well, just from those that have signed out that weren't already a chosen, you know, department head, right? So those people already don't, don't they don't count, but we had 50, we had a total of 54 external signups. Um, I shouldn't say they don't count. I should say more clearly that they're already you know, leading their team, they right? They did not have a choice. They did not have a choice. I did not have yeah, a choice. They're baked into the program. <laughs> they are, they are. But yeah, we had, you know, approaching 60 signups, um, you know, a combination of external and, and other staff users that volunteered to to come join these teams. Plus, again, plus the um, facilitators that are leading each team. So we're talking 80 plus people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and then we're also getting other other feedback throughout. So we're engaging well over a hundred people and having these conversations. And that that I don't think that even includes I mean, they're taking it into consideration. But when we talk about the hundreds of people, well over a thousand people that have answered surveys. Yeah, we've had we put out surveys, and I think it's been well over a thousand who have come back and, and let us know about what their preferences are. And we're still encouraging more people to to let us know what their thoughts and feelings are as well. So, in talking about surveys, Ryan, I know that one of the surveys um, really is on having families who know that they want their children to participate uh, in person, if it's possible, uh, was to select a cohort. And um, the last time I looked, I think we had close to or just over 1,100 students. Yeah, we're actually just shy of 1,200 now. And okay. they're pouring in, which, uh, again, this has been out for, I guess, as of now, exactly a week. And so that's a pretty pretty solid response. And, and that alone is about one-third of our students. So we want to thank everybody who's given us that information. And then for those families who have said, you know what? We understand that there may still be some unanswered questions, but we are really wanting our child to participate in distance learning. Um, again, the last number I saw was around 300. Where are we right now? Yeah, we're at 300 and almost 15, 313 total responses as of right now. So, Okay. I mean, that, that says a lot for our families um, about giving us that information because it really is important that we know what what our our students' families are thinking so that we can plan for the best program. We know that puts people sometimes in a precarious spot of having to, uh, they feel like choose something when they may not have all the information. Um, but it's that chicken and the egg thing. I, we can't provide more information until we know what some of the choices are. So we're encouraging people to continue to participate. Let us know what your preferences are. That will help us uh, with our decision process. Yeah, and we're we're taking this data on a on a daily or, or multiple times a day look. We're looking at this closely and and analyzing, you know, where are these students coming from? What are the grade levels? What is how is this going to affect staffing? What are the plans we can build off of from this data? So it is it's great to get it. So just really quickly before we move on, I know a couple of questions that have really kind of popped up over and over again that I'll I'll go ahead and clarify today is, um, so if a family chooses to go on distance learning. Um, 
do they get to stay at their home school? Do they have do they do they give up their intradistrict transfer spot? What does that really look like? And we had a long conversation, a long a long series of conversations in in how to do distance learning. Should it be its own school? Should it be its own whatever? And at the end of the day, we landed on having it be a program at each school site. So um, any student that enrolls in distance learning remains a student at the school that they're currently at. They don't give up anything. They don't give up a spot. Um, Remember, distance learning just means that you can't participate in person in any activity that may go on at the school. Yeah, you can't. In your, I think it's very. That's a very important part of it. You are part of that school community, but you're part of that school community via distance learning, virtual learning. But I think it's important for people to know that if that is an option that they select, that they unfortunately won't be able to participate in any of the in-person activities at the school for the entire year. Right. And again, that's really to maintain that cohort integrity, right? For those that are choosing a cohort um, in, in person, you know, you can't, can't, can't mix that, those two groups of students. Yeah. And, and again, I think we've had a lot of conversations too internally that the only time where we may be able to allow families to maybe make a different decision would be if we were able to restart with every student in person every day, all the time, as normal. Um, At that point, the cohorts are broken anyway. Um, Or if we had to go full distance learning for the entire district for a significant period of time, and then we were to restart again, uh, that may be another option point as well. Um, And the other question that we've also gotten is, when are we going to know what's going on at the high school? So, um, Tom, I know you've had a lot of conversations with with, uh, Allison Eckert, who's the new principal this year. And I have as well. And uh, from what Allison has told us, she should be ready to present something on Monday, I believe. Yeah, I think she'll be ready. So I don't think we want to um, I don't think we want to spoil the fun and talk about that until Monday. <laughs> we'll have the big reveal. Drum roll. And um, we do know that Allison's done a great job of reaching out to families and students and staff and um, really kind of coming up with a program that they feel best meets the needs of Del Norte High. So um, I I think our students and families will be really happy with the outcome of that. I think so too. And I want to, again, commend Allison for just the tremendous work she's done over the course of the summer to stay in contact with families and staff so that they're all uh, participating and they're part of the process and understand what we're trying to do. So the other thing that really is going to play into the restart of school is health and safety. Um, so there's been a lot said about health and safety. I mean, so from your perspective, both Tom and Ryan, how many emails do you think you get in a day or a week with people um, either quoting guidance from the Centers for Disease Control, the California Department of Public Health, California Department of Education, California Board of Education, California governor's office or interpreting those guidance documents from the organizations that you get emails from. I'll let you take the first one and I'll, and I'll jump in. I mean, it is not an exaggeration to say, to say hundreds a week, um, dozens a day. And, you know, I think you may have missed some there, Jeff. I mean, we also have our, our local, our local emergency operations group and our local department of health. You know, there's a lot to sift through and there's, there's a lot of information coming into us right now. So I, sometimes I feel like the emails are easier to respond to. I actually get quite a few telephone calls from people and, 
just calling people back and letting them know, uh, dispelling rumors and, um, and, and, and fiction and just letting them know about what's current and what we're working on. I think that helps. But I, I would say that, that for me, the volume is more phone calls and emails. Well, I think you touched a really important point there, Tom, when you said what's current, um, as everybody's, I think, super well aware, that's a pretty fluid situation and, and guidance has changed multiple times and, and may change more. I think we suspect that, you know, the change is the constant, right? So um, making sure that the information that is there is is the current information. Well, so let's take face masks uh, or, or I'm sorry, cloth face coverings, uh, you know, uh, early on in this whole thing, when, when the pandemic caused our campuses to close and everything else, there were really no orders about cloth face coverings. And then they became, well, you might want to use them. Then they, it was like, oh, nobody should use them. And then it was like, because they don't protect other people, right? And then it was like, no, everybody should use them. And then it became an executive order. And then when they started talking about schools, um, they started saying that they were recommended and that everybody had to wear them from preschool up. And current guidance, though, is kind of a blend. It says if you are, uh, if your child is younger than two, they should not wear them at all. Um, in a school setting, if they are two years old to second grade, they are strongly recommended. Um, but then every child who attends in person from third grade to 12th grade has to wear face coverings. Unless there are some medical exemptions for, for a very few students in the population. Right. And, and, and then for staff, it's it's everybody. If you are a, a, an employee of the school district, you know, regardless of the grade level you teach or what your role is, they are um, a cloth face covering is required. And 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 then it begins the cascading effect because what about that child who is exempt? What about that teacher who is exempt? What about that teacher who needs to have their mouth visible for um, speech or for how to form a letter or for um, working with a special needs student? Um, uh, then we get into the whole kind of conversation around face shields. Uh, and again, this is where we kind of want to point folks to really looking at the guidance in its totality, because what we've heard from some people is um, well, you have to wear an N95 face mask. It's not accurate and it's not even recommended. Um, it's a cloth face covering. Um, and then when we start talking about face shields, there's a there's a little piece in the um, industry guidance from, or I don't know if it's in the industry guidance or if it's in the actual CDPH guide, uh, document on face coverings, where it says if you can't wear the face covering, then you need to wear a face shield and consider a face shield with a drape, but it doesn't say it has to be a face shield with a drape. Yeah. It's interesting because when you look at the guidance, um, not everybody reads every single line and people make interpretations based upon what their preferences are. So it's always important when you read the guidance, especially from the, the, the Department of Public Health, to read it in its totality, because the shoulds and the shalls kind of, um, they, they really help make the difference and let us know what, what is, what we should do and what we're required to do. And those shoulds and shalls are, are, um, they're, they're intermixed right in that document. Oh, yeah. So you really gotta, you gotta be careful there. Well, you know, and, and so one of the things we really encourage folks to do is look at those documents and look at where it says recommended, consider, 
may include. Those are all the kind of, you know, you might want to take a look at it, but you're not required to. There are other things that are very explicit that it says you will, right? So, you know, physical distancing, for instance. Um, really early on, I think it was around the 1st of June, the California Department of Public Education put out a document that said students had to stay six feet apart. Our public health officer has called that um, legacy guidance, uh, which was kind of the best thinking at that time. The new CDPH guidance uh, that came out on July 17th, so six weeks later, give or take, said um, teachers' desks needed to be six feet from students and teachers and other adult staff needed to stay six feet from other people. But students should be physically distanced um, as practicable or feasible, which might include six feet of spacing or shields or other measures, um, even including just not being face to face. So, I mean, it's a really broad piece of guidance, but it's been misinterpreted based on things that were said two months ago. So these documents that we're referencing, just so, just so folks know, are, are posted on our website, um, uh, Michael Hawkins, our director of communications, has uh, spun up a new page right there at the header uh, our home site, dnusd.org. Uh, learning options is a new menu option there across the top. And, you know, the CDPH school reopening guidelines document that we're referring to, one of the ones we're referring to is, is right there. So if you'd like to dive in and, and really see what we're referring to, please, please check that out. Right. And I think what we have on that page is I think we have what is called the... Um, uh, the framework, so the the K-12 school reopening framework, that document's going to answer a lot of questions that you might have about what happens if someone is exposed or symptomatic or whatever. Um, there's a really good table there, and I know that Ryan also has a staff member who's worked really hard on putting together a flow chart. Yes, and we'll get that flow chart posted up right away as well. So again, and and know that that's not what we as a district are just saying, hey, here's something we should do. That's actually explicit guidance from the California Department of Public Health. Um, the other document is what I referred to earlier, which is the um, industry-specific guidance. So every industry, every business that's opened had to, had to meet certain industry guidance. Schools did not have the industry guidance until July 17th. So that industry guidance was now available. So, you know, in the vast amount of time over the last two weeks that we've had it available, um, we've really been trying to respond and put some things together. And it's really important to kind of take a look through those documents and see what it says. Yeah, absolutely. That think that going back, circling back to what we started with, with those those 18 planning team groups, those are these documents we're referring to, the, the, the guidance that came out on July 17th. Those are kind of our main reference documents that we're kind of building off of or we're using those as reference points. So, you know, the other thing I think I really want to be have folks be cautious about is comparing what's going on in Del Norte County with other parts of the state. Uh, there, be very, very cautious because um, there are many different things happening in different parts of the state, and that depends on the size of the population, the density, whether they're urban or rural or suburban. 
Um, and oftentimes people make assumptions about one school district because it's a public school district in California, assuming we're all doing the same thing. I can tell you that we're not. And even if you look at districts that are surrounding ours in our county here, um, if you look to the north, there's there Oregon and uh, Brookings, Oregon, and people are asking questions about why we are or are not doing the same things that are happening in Brookings. And you look to the south and Humboldt, and they have many different school districts, and many different districts are doing different things. So it's really, really important that we stay focused on what's happening in Del Norte. Well, and as we follow all these laws and the guidance that comes out too, the other thing that we hear quite a bit and that always cracks me up is when I tell people from Sacramento, because these are folks that are making laws that affect us. These are people that are making decisions through Department of Health or whoever that affect us as well. And we'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, Del Norte, you guys, are you right outside of Sacramento? Are you in Northern California? Or are you just outside of San Francisco? And it's like, no, we're about six hours further north. And they're surprised California goes that far. So, you know, just just be cautious about uh, kind of comparing those pieces. And I would say a few years ago, I might have been one of those people <laughs> saying, where is that? Oh, six hours north. Yeah. Yeah. But we we are here trying to make sure that we're interpreting and, and creating our guidance here locally that that does have Del Norte in mind, because that's our focus, you know, here here in this room and, and in the district as a whole is is what's best for for our Del Norte students and our Del Norte families and, and our staff. So I would also say so one of the questions that I'd want to answer is where do you go for information about Del Norte? And I think our website has some great information and can answer a lot of those questions. Yeah. And I would also encourage folks too, if you want to dig a little deeper, um, Del Norte County Public Health has a great um, COVID summary and COVID uh, data page. Uh, if you also go to the California Department of uh, Public Health, click on their COVID-19 icon, and that'll take you to a whole other page that looks at the county watch list that takes you to different guidance um, documents. And and you can look at everything we're looking at. I don't think there's anything secret. There's nothing um hidden that we're working from a playbook. You know, this isn't football. We don't have our secret playbook that we're working out of. Um, they are very public documents. And um, that's that's what we're using because really it's our primary objective as a public school system is provide high quality education for kids. We cannot provide that education without first ensuring that they're healthy and safe and, and that our staff is and ultimately that our community is as well. So, gentlemen, as we kind of get to the end of our time here for this particular podcast, um, are there any closing thoughts that uh, that you'd like to share? The only thought that I, I'd like to share with everybody and encourage people, if they're interested in attending, we're going to have a special education town hall meeting on August 11th at 10 a.m. and at 6 p.m. It's going to be a virtual meeting and it'll be on Zoom. And we're going to take some time to answer questions that parents and families and community members ha may have about how we're going to provide special education services to our students and families during the reopening of schools. So that's August 11th at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. And 
just along those same lines, you, you know, Tom referred to this this webinar that's coming up on August 11th for special ed. There's going to be others as well. Again, getting that stakeholder involvement. Um, you know, we do just ask that you do stay tuned and stay connected. Um, our website, there's an app. Um, you can find it all right there. So do stay connected. We, we, we value that stakeholder input um, so strongly. So um, that would be my, my one point to add. Well, and Ryan, the other thing I was going to ask you, I don't mean to put you on the spot, even though it is fun from time to time. <laughs> um, uh, we've had a lot of conversations about getting devices in the hands of kids, especially um, either as early in the year or even before school starts. Um, wh- what are your thoughts on that? Because we know that whether we whether we start full distance or whether we start blended, um, there will be a heavy tech component. Yeah, and we're, I mean, I would say that's, that's definitely 110% of at least one of my staff's time is getting ready for that um, that that handout procedure. It happened quickly in the spring, and it's going to have to happen quickly again now. Um, just want folks to be aware that it's going to be a slightly different process. Um, in the interest of making sure we have information that we need from from folks out there in the public, our families, you know, our demographic updates that I've, I've kept asking for, making sure we have accurate phone numbers and email addresses so that we can reach you at those times, we'll be asking for that data as you get your device just to make sure we're getting that, that information update. But yes, um, again, stay tuned. We suspect that there will be a combination of options to get your devices, but it will be coming from each school site, um, just like it was in the spring. You'll have a checkout procedure, and it'll be much similar, uh, very similar to how you currently, your student currently checks out a uh, library book. We're actually using our library system to actually scan these devices out, check them out to you for the school year. And and along those same lines, too, I just want to let everybody know that this year we're also doing something a little bit different, not knowing, because remember, our board has not made a decision yet on how school will reopen on August 24th. Um, but one of the things that we want to do is we want to make sure that we're collecting that information, that you're getting information um, like we do at the beginning of every year in what we call our first day packets. So this year what we're doing is we are sending a packet of documents to your house, um, one packet for each one of your children. And we're asking that you complete that packet and return that to us. Uh, you can also access all of these documents on our website. So, um, Again, we just want to thank everybody for their input, for their patience, for their guidance, for their recommendations, for um, helping to point out the things that are both, um, I think, highly creative and beneficial in conversations that we've been having and the things that are, for all intents and purposes, maybe non-starters for some of our families. So um, like Ryan said, stay tuned. We'll have more information coming up um, with three weeks left for school before school starts. I think you're going to see a lot of information and we don't want to miss any of you in that process. So, um, again, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks. Thank you.